North Omaha History Podcast made possible by our patrons, Jay Hanna, Wanda Lewis, Ian Snyder, Lori Schwartz, Christine Gerber, Jody Lavallo, and the Great Plains Black History Museum, open Thursday through Saturday, 1 to 5, 2221 North 24th Street. Please go to patreon.com slash Omaha and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. We'll give you a free gift. Welcome to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Each week, Adam takes you on a guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past. For years, we've been told the buildings of the 1898 Trans-Mississippi and International Exposition were demolished right after the event ended in the fall of that year, but they were not destroyed. Instead, after all the successes Omaha had with the Expo, a group of investors decided they needed to keep the buildings up and start another grand event. Working together, they raised enough money to buy the buildings. Okay, so what happened after that, Adam? <laughs> so first, let's take a look at that 1898 Trans-Mississippi Expo. You know, the Durham Museum downtown has a wonderful exhibit on the Trans-Mississippi and it tells a really great story. It's very rich. You can see a scale model of the Grand Court and some of the phenomenal buildings that were there. You know, more than 50 temporary buildings were put up around North Omaha between uh, basically east of 24th Street, west of North 14th Street, from about Ames Avenue all the way south down to Lake. All these buildings were put up and it was just a spectacular time. It didn't cover the entire area. We had houses, we had churches, we had different things that were already in place. But there were just some really, really neat features, including a midway that was humongous. They expected a million visitors. They got three million. So the Trans-Mississippi Expo really had a lot of folks that were coming to it. At the end of that, you know, they were faced with the reality that they built temporary buildings and they did need to come down. You know, they were just made out of, everybody knows, horse hair and plaster. And it was called staff and it was hung on uh, lightly constructed buildings. Some of them were three or four stories tall, but they just weren't permanent. There was also a gigantic lagoon in the middle of the Grand Court. There was all kinds of rides that were uh, over in the East Court and just lots of different facilities that were in there. But what do you do with those when they're still decent? Well, like you said, a group of investors said, hey, I got an idea. Let's do this again next year. So they began kind of a half-baked attempt at creating the it's what was called the Greater American Expo of 1899. The Greater American Expo was an attempt to basically replicate this the first year by doing it again. So this inv these investors bought buildings, they bought uh, different apparatus and materials and furnitures and all kinds of stuff from the um, people who owned the expo, and they began to try to do it again. They cranked out the promotional materials. They sent information out around the world. Some of the information, so this Greater America Exposition was premised on the idea that America was expanding. Uh, America had begun a colonialist attempt to take over Spanish territories in the Philippines, in Cuba, in Hawaii, and they really wanted to promote this idea that, hey, we are a phenomenal nation because we're taking over the world. The dominant idea of the entire Great American Exposition, instead of being progress in the Midwest, instead of being future in the Midwest and how wonderful the Midwest was, 
was this idea that that Omaha was in the center of the resources, the products, the manufacturing, and the things that the United States want to impose on the rest of the world. So they had they renamed the International Building into the Colonial Building. And they put in exhibits from Cuba and from Hawaii and from the Philippines and from a lot of different other nations to really show how wonderful the United States was. Well, it doesn't really surprise some people, but it does surprise others that it didn't work. Because it turns out that trying to photocopy Cuba, Guam, Philippines, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, all these different places and just put them into the middle of America wasn't necessarily a great scam and it didn't draw people in the way that the Trans-Mississippi Expo would. They opened up the event in uh, June, formally in June of 1899, the Greater American Expo opened. But before that, concession stands were closing, uh, different activities were starting to move away because people didn't really see the Greater American Expo as being a going concern. They didn't think it would really work. The, co the committee turned it around, though, um, and, and they worked to get the liberal arts building, art, the agriculture, horticultural buildings, different, different buildings into use. Uh, in May, they uh, did a kind of an informal opening, and they got the power turned on by the Omaha Electric Light Company. They got the, the midway going, the, the live exhibits moving, and they, they began to really um, welcome people in. When June came, they had brought the old merry-go-round. There used to be a merry-go-round at 15th and Capitol in downtown Omaha. They moved it all the way into the middle of the expo. Uh, to make people come in, at least see the old Mary go around from downtown Omaha. So they brought in all of these different activities. They had uh, dozens of new performances and, and different uh, uh, features brought in, and they really piped it full. They had a North Pole collection because the North Pole was being explored at that point. They brought in an entire war prison museum from Chicago, along with a lot of the Omaha Cult Society, the a vaudeville theater operated a place and lots of different people were coming in. So some of the rides that opened up were the Enchanted Island that was also called Midnight in Hawaii and it had hula dancers and lots of different typical uh, racist kind of portrayals of what Hawaii actually looked like at that point. Uh, there was an electric scenic theater, a cyclorama with Lookout Mountain on it. Uh, there was an old plantation that was rebuilt right there so people could fantasize about the racist hate-filled olden days um, in the South. There was a, a theater performance of one of the battles during the Civil War and lots of different things. A giant seesaw, the Chinese village, there was a Spanish War Museum, there was a Hawaiian village, there was a place called the Fat Man's Beer Garden that had dozens of different beers on tap. There was a Mexican village, Philippine village, German village. Puerto Rico and Cuban village. And so you really get the sense that the entire place was just alive. We remember some of the things mentioned during the Trans-Mississippi Expo. They were back for the um, Greater American Exposition. Uh, they included things like the gondolas and the dairy that was there. There was um, the Red Windmill of Paris from the Moulin Rouge. Uh, the Omaha Creche opened up a nursery right there for the event. And uh, there was a place called the Enchanted Chamber for Lovers. And so they had lots of different things that were going on. By, 1899, by June of 1899, the end of June, the midway was full. Um, there was a gigantic wigwam or plaster teepee that was 
built with a restaurant running out of it. And, and the momentum began to gather. Uh, they charged admission at 50 cents uh, and then 25 cents on the weekends. And they really expected the whole thing to fill up with the millions the way that it had the previous year. The difference was that the exhibits were inconsistent and the performances weren't that great. And people just lost their enthusiasm for what was happening. By the beginning of July, the event ran out of money. The expo, the, the Greater American Exposition uh, Committee, Executive Committee, ran out of money. Uh, Ed Rosewater, who ran the Omaha Bee newspaper, Jonas Brandeis, who ran the Brandeis store, uh, Herman Cohen, Thomas Fry, and a couple other folks left. They resigned the executive committee because they didn't want to be on a sinking ship. So uh, Ed Rosewater, who began using his newspaper to agitate for the expo to get better, it never worked. The manager ended up borrowing money uh, for the entire thing to stay open. Uh, but uh, the negative reviews started rolling in. Denver Times reported that the exposition had no government exhibits, no exhibits from neighboring states, no mining exhibit, no agriculture exhibit, and nothing else of any real substance. In the middle of their newspaper, they said it's an Omaha scheme, simply a big carnival midway. So the whole thing started crumbling. By August, they were uh, downsizing, laying off the superintendents and staff and security guards. There were. Uh, horseless carriages and, and wheels rolling around and dogs running loose on the expo grounds. Things that would have never happened the year before at the Trans-Mississippi Expo became common in uh, the Greater American Expo. It got so bad that uh, millions, they said millions of fishes started dying inside of the lagoon. Minnows and carp and perch were just all over the place dead. So the whole thing took on a smell. The plaster from the and uh, the plaster and horse straight horse hair railings around the lagoon started falling apart. Uh, there were bicycle races that were canceled in August, and the a giant fire dance was canceled that, that month. And it just got really bad. Uh, the special carnival night on August eighteenth was shut down because of low attendance, and the entire thing just started to crumble, literally. Where the the Trans-Mississippi Exposition of, 1880, of 1898 had 3 million people. The Greater American Exposition at the same point only had 845,000 attend. And so the numbers were less than a third of what their predecessor uh, event had had. The whole thing came to an end by October 31st. They called it Swamping the Midway. They wanted everybody to be there and fill it all up. 25,000 people showed up. But at 4 p.m., all the electricity on the ground was shut off. The workers at the coal plant went on strike, and uh, police raided the building. It was bad news. Boisterous crowds began to smash windows and glass everywhere that they could find. Uh, there was a reporter from the Omaha World Herald who said, With the passing of the lights, the pandemonium already rampant on the midway descended into wild commotion. The crowd merged into a wriggling mass of humanity like an army of centipedes. Signs were torn down, thatching torn off the roof of the villa, Filipino village. When the conglomeration grew more boisterous, a few re remaining exhibitors began to close up their doors and box up their more breakable goods, reminding one of the preparations for an expected cyclone. So, it came to an end, Steve. By November 1st, the, bowl, the wrecking balls were swinging all across the area and the entire operation began to come down. That's when the Trans-Mississippi Expo grounds were really tore down. There was no sign of the uh, Greater American Expo by then. Uh, 
uh, all of the buildings had gone into bankruptcy and uh, people were getting paid with notes and, and promissory notes instead of actual cash. They eventually sold off everything that could be uh, from the grounds though, uh, almost everything. The, the wood was reused and uh, the glass was reused. Some of the buildings were actually made into houses that were put around North Omaha. Later on, we'll tell the story of what happened to a bridge and some other things around the entire expo area. But there was no sign of the Greater American Expo left. They used the money to pay off the debtors and to really wrap it up. And uh, yeah, there was nothing left by November. So it's interesting today, but also obvious, why the Greater American Expo isn't talked about. Instead, history is just kind of rewriting, rewritten to focus on the Trans-Mississippi Exposition that was actually a success. And uh, we're just forgetting about what happened at the Greater American Expo. But thanks to this podcast and the article on the NorthOmahaHistory.com website and some other stuff, I'm trying to raise the bells and say, hey, Omaha's had failure, and this is what it looked like. Thanks for listening to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Join us next week as Adam takes you on another guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past.